You've joined the Betamax Video Club, rewinding back to our favourite films of the 1980s. My name's Rich Nelson, and tonight I've rented Airplane. Watching it with me is Graham Sibley from the Sound of Football Pod. Hi, Graham. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, Rich. Great to be here. Thank you for bringing your old Betamax copy for us to watch. Um, what's so special about Airplane for you? Well, I think I think this is a, it's a great honour for me to actually to to actually for one be on the Betamax podcast, but also be given given the the very important task of talking about this film because I think it's not just my favourite comedy of all time. I think it's probably going to be quite a lot of people listening, not just because this is about Airplane, but because they like listening to, to the podcast. But they will know that Airplane is such a important film. It is one of the funniest films that's ever been made. And and time has not dulled it at all. In fact, uh, and neither has repeated viewing either. Uh, so this is this is really great to come in and spend the next, well, God knows how long, just talking over and over and over about it. I mean, it's one of those films that, as a podcaster of 80s films, um, certain films represent an easy target. I'm not going to name them. Uh, it's probably quite obvious. Some of them, and this is probably one, represent a massive challenge. Uh, I suppose this is probably on a similar level to I know, a Star Wars film or something like that, where you've got to be so careful because... <laughs> it's so easy to get something wrong, but it's so easy to misjudge a tone or something like that. And as you say, this film has aged you know, in, in nearly 40 years, has aged remarkably well. Um, there's yeah. very little about it that seems even politically incorrect, which is amazing, bearing in mind some of the films I've done recently. But one thing I'll mention to start with that I know you raised when we were tweeting yesterday was that this is based very heavily on a film from 1957 called Zero Hour that is about as straight as a film can be. There's little <laughs> comedy in it. There's a very sort of strict linear plot. There's a an ex-pilot gets on a plane, the plane's in trouble because of people eating contaminated fish and he has to save the day. This film takes that bare spide, as it were, and just loads it with some of the most classic and ridiculous jokes in a film possibly ever. Yeah, I, I knew about Zero Hour. I've known about the existence of Zero Hour for years, and it was only when we got together and said, right, OK, let's, let's do Airplane, that I actually sat down and thought, I wonder if it's on YouTube. And I sat down and watched it, and I, I was just less agog by it. I was just absolutely amazed to watch it. It's only it's only just over an hour and, and I would I would encourage any listener, if you love Airplane, you have to see Zero Hour. You really do. You have to hunt it down on YouTube. It, it, it is I remember when you had uh when you had Ed Carter on here talking about I'm gonna get you sucker and he's talking about the fact about how many times he's seen the film and about how uh, he would love to see the film with fresh eyes. This is what Zero Hour gives you. It gives you the chance to see to see Airplane with with fresh eyes. Well, Airplane isn't just sort of loosely based on Zero Hour. The Zucker Brothers actually bought the rights to Zero Hour, and they use large lumps of the of the script from Zero Hour, and they just put it straight in. They even use some of the shots. Even some of the shots are just taken from mm -hmm. it, and and some of the gags you you, you think are just 
stupid visual stuff that the that, that the Zucker brothers just threw in, like the heavily sweating bit there. That's just an exaggeration of, of an actual shot you see in, in in Zero Hour. But the best thing about it is the dialogue. He actually says, that's not important right now. She actually says, what is it? <laughs> in that same sentence. And there is that great interchange. I looked on some uh, website and they were saying about the funniest interchange in, uh, or the funniest gag in, in Airplane is when Peter Graves and Leslie Nielsen are talking to each other and say, uh, you know, how soon till we land? There is that scene in there, although it doesn't have the stupid sort of like, dialogue but it, it is that whole thing when do we land i'm not sure not for a couple not, not for two more hours and it's there and if you're if you've watched airplane as much as me every time they open their mouths you expect them to start going into the into the skit rather than just delivering these deadpan lines but for me i think this is what makes airplane so funny it's not because it's not just a funny film. There's plenty of just funny films and there's plenty of madcap zany films out there, especially from around this time. But I think because this film is is based on this this very sort of straight Canadian disaster movie from the 1950s, it just makes it something else. It's there's so many things coming together in this in this comedy that I only got really when I started watching Zero Hour and and it just really just Next time I watch Airplane, because I haven't watched Airplane since I watched Zero Hour, and it's going to relive and everything for me again, I think. Well, I, um, I'll have to put a link to Zero Hour in the show notes, because I watched it last night after re-watching Airplane. And as you say, for some parts of it, it is like watching the same film again. The part in particular that stuck out in my mind was when Joey, and, and in Zero Hour, Joey, the kid who goes into the cockpit, is actually Ted Stryker's son, but... Yeah, Joey's taken into the cockpit, and you're just waiting for something mention of a Turkish <laughs> prison. <laughs> no, he does. He goes. He goes. Have you ever been in a cockpit before, Joey? And he just, I was just in tears. I was, I was loving. It. He even gives him the model airplane. It's the uh. same lines. Joey, here's something we give our special visitors. Would you like to have it? Thank you. Thanks a lot. You ever been in the cockpit before? No, sir. I've never been up in a plane before. Joey, we have something here for our special visitors. Would you like to have it? Thank you. Thanks a lot. Sure. You ever been in a cockpit before? No, sir. I've never been up in a plane before. You ever seen a grown man naked? When Ted Stryker, because he's got the same name in it as well, uh, Dana Andrews is playing uh, Ted, Ted Stryker, and he even delivers a line, that's a whole different type of flying altogether, and you want... The... <laughs> You, you, you want the hostess and the, and the doctor to say it's a whole different kind of flying. <laughs> oh, it's yes. it's essential viewing, really. I mean, I mentioned it on Twitter when I was watching Airplane that I was going to watch Zero Hour, and I had several direct messages afterwards saying, oh, one, why, and two, what's it like? Now, the, yeah. the clip that you sent me, I mean, it, obviously it's been doctored for the aspect ratio, probably to avoid being picked up. Yeah. But, I mean, they paid, I looked at the trivia on IMDb, they paid about $2,500 for the rights to this film. And they've just taken this film, and, and you know, as you say, not in the way that, I mean, there was a series of spoof movies in the sort of 2000s when they were ripping off you know, various genres, and it was there was no plot to them at all, really. It was just like, right, how can we take the piss yeah. out of this film and this film? But, you know, if you strip everything away from Airplane, it's still, it is essentially zero hour. Yes, it is, it's, exactly. You know, the, and it's just 
such a strange move that I can't remember any of us seeing a remake where the tone has gone so differently. I mean, we've seen remakes that are almost, I think that was it the one of yeah. Psycho that was almost shot for shot, exactly. Shot for shot. Uh, and, yeah. and a lot that are very sort of you know, deferential to the source material. But this takes it because, you know, they're essentially saying, right, we own the rights to this film. What can we do to it? Yeah. When I was watching it, I was looking at things like things in the background, like when they're in the dispatch office, the dispatch office is almost identical. They, they've re, re, remade the set, even down to the door. The door is identical. It, it may even be the same set. They may have, I don't know, dug it out from somewhere, but it, it was, I couldn't admit, there was just one shot and it looked like a, a, a faithful shot for shot remake of that scene. And I, I think this is perhaps why this is so different to like a spoof. And I, I think what it really shows is, is actually that, it's not just the piss take of this old sort of hammy melodrama of a airplane disaster film. It there is actually genuine warmth from the writers to the original script, and and I think that really shows through, and I think that really helps with the comedy. I mean, anyone can just do a send up of something, but to actually get away with it, to actually get actors in the the, and I think this is where they really really win in this is because of the actors they get in most of the actors although big names they weren't big massive hollywood stars at that point most of them were were doing tv movies but they come in and deliver it like they would deliver any any role any similar straight role and that's what makes it so good that's what it's what leslie nielsen perhaps loses in his later films when he really does turn up to do the bit more sort of like comedic side of it but in this one he plays it Deadpan straight. All right, there is the Pinocchio bit, I suppose. But <laughs> for most of it, he's playing it. He's playing it deadpan straight. Lloyd Bridges perhaps is playing a little bit more for laughs. He's but then he's he, he's that kind of actor anyway, and he's he's got a bit more range. He's got certainly a lot more range than Peter Graves and uh, Robert Stack have got. So they just come in and do what they do. But they're brilliant in that just just because of that. Yeah, I mean the casting in this is so strange. I mean I remember watching it as a kid and being aware of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. You know, I, I was aware, yeah. you know, not that I was into basketball and, and I'm not, but I was aware of who he was. And I suppose, yeah. you know, it would be the equivalent now of having, I don't know, maybe, maybe not Michael Jordan, but a big-name basketball player. And again, the reasons that he was in it is because they had a reasonably famous sportsman appearing in Zero Hour. And it was a callback to that. It wasn't just a... Right, who can we get as a random person? <laughs> you know, there was an actual logic yeah. behind his casting, even though yeah. you know, they played on it massively. I mean, the, the part where he gets, he's sick and he gets, despite denying the fact he's a basketball player, the, when Joey sort of eggs him on a little bit and says he doesn't track back, and he's like, the hell I don't. And then gets, I, love, I love that. <laughs> and then gets, That's one of my favourite lines in the whole film. <laughs> it just sort of loses the character and then, all of a sudden gets dra yeah. dragged out wearing basketball kit and goggles. Well, you can see it when Joey actually picks up the basketball. It's <laughs> <laughs> just lying on the ground there. And he's holding it and saying these stuff. And that's, that's, that, that, that is just what, that's for me, in that scene where he's sort of saying, you know, ever seen a grown man naked. But it's, <laughs> it's that bit, the interplay with, with him, which is, is, is fantastic. And this is, you know, the biggest name in, in basketball. Even, even now, he still holds the, the points record, the all-time points record. I think, I think LeBron's, he may be able to catch him up, but I don't know if, that, if that's going to happen. That's one of the big, 
talking points in the on basketball Twitter, I suppose, right now. Well, maybe if they do a, an airplane free or a reboot, they can cast him in there as a pilot somewhere. Well, I always thought he was he was chosen because uh, OJ was in uh, Towering Inferno, wasn't he? Mm. So, and I think that was one of his. Uh, well, that was one of his acting roles. Wasn't it? So, I, I thought that was like a, a play on that. But uh, the the thing also about Zero Hour is it was written by uh, Arthur Haley, who wrote Airport. Well, which well, what that book that came from that film because I think it was a teleplay. Actually, it was actually originally a teleplay, and the original Ted Stryker was played by James Doohan, who was Scotty from mm. Star Trek. Weirdly enough, Arthur Haley wrote uh, Airport, which is the, the the series of films in the 70s that, that Airplane really does send up with these increasingly more ridiculous uh, <laughs> stories, which is really, for me, makes it the most fascinating. We look at the timeline because this comes out a year after the fourth instalment of the Airport films, which in the UK was called uh, Airport 80, the Concorde. Uh, in the rest of the world, so it, was, it was Airport 79. But Airport 79 or Airport, Airport 80, the one, the one with the Concorde in anyway, is a ridiculous film. It's so stupid. And it, that is sort of self-parodying itself anyway. So, so it, you, you've got this ridiculous film. And then all of a sudden, you've got Airplane comes out. And say, well, actually, if you're going to do, do, do a parody of a, of, a, of a film, do it properly. Uh, and... I think this it didn't put the nail in the coffin of of air, airplane disaster films that was what that had already happened so this was just just making it something even better than than what they were doing unintentionally with the with the airport series and even then you know that that time when air travel was you know people were seeing these films and thinking oh is it safe and you know as it, they opened this film with an airplane going for the clouds and with the Jaws music, just in case, yeah. you, just in case you stepped into the cinema and thought, "Oh, is this another one of those airport films?" <laughs> yeah, this is a comedy, I think you'll find. Yes, yeah, this is this is this is <laughs> here for laughs. We're here to have a good time over the next hour and a half, and and it, I, I think that's one of the most amazing things about it. I actually did a search. While I was doing doing uh, reading up about about the film, and and I thought, I wonder if anyone sat down and counted the number of gags, and there were loads of different answers here, but and then most of them range anywhere between 170 and up to 300. Uh, depends on how you count a gag and how you split up certain uh, certain things, but it it boils down to about one every 20 seconds. They've got a gag and. And then you've got this hour-long film in in there as well. So you've got all these gags going along with Zero Hour, which is pretty much perfectly set in there, but with just with all the, the these gags going on there in the in the meantime. And even all these crazy things, like at the beginning when they have the announcers at the airport when they turn up, yeah. and you know it turns out that these announcers, one, they're actual real life announcers, and two, they're actually married. And they're essentially having a domestic row about an abortion over the tannoy, moaning about red zone and white zone parking. You know, the attention to detail in there, every single one of these has been fought out to some degree. Even if you go to, you know, a couple of minutes later when the captain's at the newsstand looking at magazines in the uh, whacking material section. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, every time, every place that they could possibly squeeze in a gag, they do. And and that that for me is like I know what you you frequently ask on on this pod is is how many times have you seen this film? And and I don't think anyone could really know how many times they've seen Airplane because uh, it's so incessant with its gags. I would think if 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 I if I really counted the number of times I, I, I've seen it, it, it's probably like some kind of bell curve because this is one of those films that if you switch it on and it's 45 minutes in, you're going to stick with it. So yeah. you probably, there, there, there are probably bits where, where I, I've watched 20 minute chunks of it. I probably sat down and watched a chunk of this probably, it's, it's got to be about 50, 60 times. But when you think, well, how many times have I sat down from beginning to end and watched it? I mean, it may not even be 20 times, but... I think it's because it's on all the time and whenever you're, you're flicking through through channels and you see it on, you'll just stick with it, won't you? You've seen it so many times that you kind of feel like you don't need to watch it from start to finish. It's one of those films, I mean, I, I find the same, especially now when you've got the plethora of movie, movie channels and you're kind of flicking yeah. through and you're you know, half an hour into, I don't know, Superman 2 and then you flick over and it's like Death Wish 3 or something <laughs> Maybe I'm just going for my back catalogue of podcasts, I don't know. But, I mean, some of the things that I found as well that I, I didn't realise before doing any research was how the comedy still translates into different languages. Now, apparently, when this film got translated into German, the two guys who talk jive, and this happened, I think, in other, other languages as well, where they weren't talking jive, but they were talking heavily regionalised versions of the local language. So in this right. case, when it went out in German the two guys talking jive are actually talking in some sort of Bavarian dialect. <laughs> you know Toy Story 3? I'm sure yeah. you've seen Toy Story 3. Yeah. And they're in there, there is a sequence in that where uh, Buzz gets switched on to Spanish. <laughs> yeah. And he suddenly turns into this flamenco dancing uh, romantic and uh, it, you know, he has a complete different personality when he gets switched mm. over to Spanish. In Spain that switch goes to Andalusian. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, basically just, just Spanish, but with a different accent. I suppose that's the thing. If it's something that's dubbed or with subtitles, you can, it does give you that opportunity to play around with it. It's, um, again, something I didn't realise, but when, and something I, because I've, I've got this film on, on iTunes, I don't have the DVD, so I don't know what sort of extras are available, but um, on one of them, when they interviewed the two guys who talk jive, because this was a slightly pigeon made up version. When they were talking jive on the documentary, they had subtitles in English. And when they were talking in English, they had subtitles in jive. Yeah. Or in their <laughs> version of it anyway. Yeah. And, um, and one thing that did treat me was uh, apparently the, the old woman who acts as their translator was also the, uh, the voice of the nanny from Muppet Babies, which I've been trying to introduce my daughter to recently. So <laughs> but the uh, random, random. No, that that is a that is a very ra random callback there. I speak jive. Oh, good. He said that he's in great pain and he wants to know if you can help him. All right. Would you tell him to just relax and I'll be back as soon as I can with some medicine. Just hang loose, blood. She's gonna catch up on the rebound on the med side. What it is, big mama? My mama raised no dummies. I duck a rap. Cut me some slack, Jack. So, Rich, have you seen The Big Bus? Uh, no, I haven't. 
No, because I, I, I have seen The Big Bus, and not many people have, but The Big Bus was a film that came out, I think, four years before uh, Airplane. And The Big Bus is basically a film about a big bus. It's this sort of basically a, a cruise liner of a bus that's going across the, the USA. And it's got like a, a bowling alley and a, and a lounge bar on it. And, and... Jane, Jane McDonald singing somewhere. Yeah, yeah, basically that, <laughs> and and it and it's very much uh, in the in the sort of airplane mode. It's a very sort of madcap zany um, comedy, and it, it it sort of came and went without really much fanfare in the middle of the seventies. But Airplane does owe a lot of of what it actually is from that from that film and uh yeah it's got like the uh the driver of it uh was it has this backstory of crashing uh, a bus uh some in some remote place <laughs> and and then and then eating uh eating the passengers so like, like a play on the, <laughs> on, the on the chilean airline disaster <laughs> and i think there's a great line is there, oh you you eat one foot and people everyone calls you a cannibal <laughs> I'm going to have to search this one out. You will have to search this one out. This it, it, it's really, but it helps you see the the sort of like the the progress of of where the Zucker brothers get got their ideas from. Because it was after that that the Zucker brothers had their uh, their first film, the well, the one they wrote, the Kentucky Fried Movie, and that's worth tracking down as well. If you haven't seen that, it's they they that's sort of like a clip show of sketches and movie pastiches and. I, that was one of the first films I ever saw on video back in the early 80s. And for someone in their very early teens with so much sexual, not so innuendo in it, it was it was one I watched over and over again. You, you can see the ideas they were developing there for Airplane. There was actually a, a sort of trailer they got in there for a film called That's Armageddon, which <laughs> uh, is... is yeah, about the world ending, and and that that is, you can see stuff in there of like the the sort of play on the on the disaster movie genre that that works really well. The, the disaster movie was such a popular theme of of that era, really. That yeah, I suppose yeah. ripe for parody in in so many different ways. The book uh, Airport, which which became Zero Hour, um, Flight into Danger, Terror in the Sky, that was another remake of it. That that one was was picked up to become part of the airplane uh, the airport series, but Airport seventy five was the closest one that was to that story, and that was uh, I don't know if you remember Airport seventy five, but that's the one where the light plane crashes into the into the front of the of the plane and and the pilot yeah. and co pilot gets sucked out. Right now, guess who's flying the uh, the private plane that hits that hits the uh, that hits the plane? You never guess who it is. Leslie Nielsen. No, no, no! It's the 1957 <laughs> version of Ted Stryker. It's Dana Andrews. <laughs> oh, see, it all, all comes around. It all comes around. It all... They're all linked somehow. It is. It's all linked somehow. I mean, it's funny. I, I, I mean, I recently did the pod for Transformers the movie, and that one had a very odd cast. I mean, everything from Orson Welles to Judd Nelson, and pretty much everywhere in between. But um. Robert Stack was in that as supposedly the kind of new breed of toy. And it's strange that, you know, in that film, he played someone with a, a character that had supposed to become the leader of the Autobots or whatever. And he was, he came across as slightly wimpy despite having this very dominating voice. And yet, 
Yeah. You know, all all you wanted was him to play Rex Kramer, <laughs> this sort of overbearing, confident guy who, you know, immediately when Ted Stryker takes the controls, you know, you can tell there's animosity there. And this guy's just sort of pure balls. <laughs> it's absolutely he, brilliant. Rex Kramer is is an amazing character. The, the, even down to like when when he's in his house and he's just walking around there while the other guys get attacked by the dog, and and that just that 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 bit where he walks through through the mirror, like, <laughs> that's just like it's I, I, it's just one of those things that just no it, it's, it's, it's half it's, a second but yeah he just suddenly yeah. notice. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. It's the, it's the right, right. How could we? It's this other instance of where can we squeeze a gag in here? I don't know what we should make him walk through the mirror. That's that, that that's brilliant. Uh, no, but he's yeah. great. Even down to like the the the, the two sunglasses he's wearing, <laughs> and and the drive there when we've got the back the backdrop, which is really old gag, but something that that they've got. They don't care about reprising old gags that have been done over and over and over again. It's just to say, right, well, we're doing it here anyway, which is, this is, this is how we're doing it. It's funny that when watching that part with the rear projection, it caught me thinking it was almost like the, the part in Dr. No, when Sean Connery's driving. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it just doesn't match at all, but it's, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, the, yeah, the steering wheel doesn't, doesn't match the, 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 the way the direction the car's going. <laughs> uh, I was watching uh, from Russia with Love as well. There's there's a bit in there when they're in the car, and what's going on outside is like you know the, it's 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 not going, even going in the right right direction half the time. It's, it's just hilarious. And and part of the fine thing that I found, apart from the the numerous gags and, and it does play or well, the film plays a lot on the issues around air travel in general, or, or being in a confined space. There's the joke that goes, I think it's about three or four different times, where Ted has someone sitting next to him on the plane, yeah. and he starts boring them with his life story. We've got, you know, we have the old woman who hangs herself. Yeah. The, the, the Japanese general who <laughs> kills himself, and then the guy who tries to self-immolate. I mean, it's... It's almost perfect. It's like being on the tube in London when someone sits down and stuff, even just talks. You know, don't have to say too much. But I mean, anything like that, it's just like you can see the fear in their eyes as soon as he opens his mouth. Uh, I mean, this this is one of the great things because the 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 actors come in and they and they deliver the lines with such believability in it as well and. It isn't just telling loads of jokes, is it? It's just saying things in a way that you think. And even though it's happened twice already, when it happens a third time, you're 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 still thinking, "Oh, right, okay, they're doing this one again." And when he sat there, the last guy with his match, and you see it coming down and down and down, there is there's a real sort of sense of almost jeopardy there, or you're just willing it to go, even though you've seen it hundreds of times before, and you know that he drops it and then blows up. But there is the, the the timing on that bit is amazing because from when he lights the match and when it's like almost down to his fingers by the time he's ready to to move on. It's just amazing how they hard to stop laughing every time I think about each single gag. I know it's, exactly. Yeah, you know every time you mention this film or there's a lot of films where people will always come back with something. If you mention it in real life, if you mention it at work, you mention it on Twitter. Someone will always come back with something and when I did the the Spinal Tap podcast, you know, we talk about how many people say, turn it up to 11. And yeah. in some cases, 
you're not even sure if they've seen Spinal Tap, but they know all about it. <laughs> and in this in this case, it's always the, you know, don't call me Shirley. Yes. Something like that. For, for all the jokes and everything in here, that seems to be the one, I guess, because it it's almost timeless in a way and it's so easy to, to use in any situation. But, yeah. you know, and it's, that's all because of Leslie Nielsen playing it straight. Can you fly this plane and land it? Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. Every week on the... Well, almost every week, just before we, we start recording The Sound of Football, we, we're lucky enough to, 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 to be able to get us all in, in the same room together to record it. And and we've had this gag for years. And that's like, as soon as I, I queue everything up and we're ready to start recording, I make sure that everyone's got their, their phones on airplane mode. So... I say, right, put your phones on airplane mode. And and then Terry or Jan will say, airplane mode? What is it? And to which we all just <laughs> laugh for about three minutes. And it's never gets old. Over and over again, never gets old, never gets old. And we say, put your phone to airplane mode. And then we start giggling like kids. Uh, to be honest, I mean, you guys have done, what, 350 plus episodes now, is it? Yes, yes. That's, that's almost that's almost a gag for each episode. <laughs> yeah. It probably is, yeah. Joey, did you ever hang around the gymnasium? So one person who pops up in the dispatch room and the air traffic control, he seems to get a lot of uh, publicity through memes and gifts these days. Uh, Johnny, eccentric lunatic. He's a he's a great character. It's a, it's a Stephen Stucker, isn't it? Uh, yeah. The actor, uh, tragic because he uh, died of AIDS in in the mid eighties. Uh, but he was someone who was with the uh, Zucker brothers uh, from the really early days. So he was from the Kentucky Fried uh, Theatre Company, which is which is where they started up from, which was an improv company. And that's and he brings that sort of improv style comedy to Airplane, which uh, for something with this sort of melodramatic script that they borrowed from the fifties. And then all of a sudden you've got him doing this sort of improvised comedy stuff. It, it is part of the of the of the magic of, of this film. I was talking earlier about the big bus and about um, the director of that was was James Frawley, and he started on the Monkeys back in the sixties, which was a lot of improv. And James Frawley was was an, an improv actor as well. So you could see how maybe the Zucker brothers and uh, were also influenced by those sort of things and and really grew their style out of that and then also had this whole sort of pastiche film going on here and and having this guy in here is his johnny character who was who is amazing in it because he is so unpredictable and and basically funny while everyone else is being serious he is being stupid and and yeah, hilarious and, and unpredictable. I think that's 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 one of the funny things about him, isn't it? It's strange that in a film where there's an emphasis on playing it straight, even though there's so many jokes, he's a comic relief, especially during the tense situations where you know Ted's trying to land the plane. Again, he's he's used perfectly because he's not in it a huge amount, and I think he's the sort of character that could quite easily one become annoying. And two, yeah. probably change the tack of the film where he goes away from just being, you know, having a five, six second part in the background or doing something ridiculous. Had he become a bigger part or had he gone through the entire film, 
that could have become quite grating when you put it against the rest of the cast. It, it could have been, yeah. I think it's... But I suppose it's like um, with the Lloyd Bridges bit with the... Uh, oh, I picked a hell of a week to give up smoking. Picked a hell of a week to give up sniffing glue. And and when he's sort of like going away with the fairies after he's snorted all that glue. And he's... <laughs> and uh, and it's a similar, a similar time. And, and, and you're right, it is when this... When in the in the original, or if it was a straight film, this would be where all the tension's coming, and this just basically keeps it saying, "Well, this is this is comedy. This is this isn't where you're meant to be thinking. Oh my God, they're in real jeopardy. No, you're not. You're meant to be sitting there laughing. Yeah, you're meant to look. Oh look, there's a vulture sat behind Striker there. <laughs> this is the part where if we have a tense situation at work and someone pretends to pull the cables out, I think they'd get a bit of a shooing. But yeah, uh, Johnny just <laughs> about he... pulls it off. But even then, I mean, like they say, like we're getting we need to get as many lights out there as possible. Like, just dump a load of lamps out the back of a pickup truck, and then you've got, uh, <laughs> then you've got Rex Kramer go. Should we put the searchlights on? No, that's exactly what they'll be expecting. <laughs> His war flashbacks coming out then. Yeah. <laughs> One thing I I hadn't realised, and partly because I I hadn't seen Airplane for probably a couple of years at the minimum. One camp, well, I say cameo. One very small part I didn't realise was Gunderson, the the very cynical, grumpy air traffic controller, was Jonathan Banks, who was Mike in Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. Um, now, I suppose the age difference in that thirty five years, other than looking a bit older and losing some hair, it's basically him just being grumpy. But I didn't realise he was also in Forty Eight Hours, Beverly Hills Cop. You know, he'd done yeah. quite a few films back then as well, playing the, the slightly grumpy man. It's always been typecast before he's sort of found this second career as being a grumpier, older man. <laughs> yeah, it's obviously a character actor, isn't he? And obviously knew what, what his career was going to be. And uh, yeah, I mean, he's got his, um, his CV from the 80s reads pretty well, actually, doesn't it? Yeah, I think I'll be popping up in, uh, in some future episodes. One say I was going to call him an actor, um, Otto, the autopilot. Now, <laughs> <laughs> um, there, there's the probably the most memorable bit where, as an inflatable autopilot, of course his uh, inflator is in the belt area, and we yes. get the the gag where the doctor walks in on Elaine, blowing him up. <laughs> Coin a phrase. Um, I used to have a work colleague who went by the nickname of Otto, and I didn't quite twig until I saw airplane i think the next time afterwards and just looked at him and he was the spitting image probably for size as well in human form he's quite the oaf but uh he he did well at the end he managed to take off with a plane with his uh, inflatable assistant yes he, 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 i mean it's great how you introduce a a, a basic an inanimate object and it, and it ends up, up upstaging the actors I mean, there's <laughs> the bit where where he comes loose and he, and basically he's he's grabbed onto elaine's tits isn't he? as they as they're, being, they're falling all about the cockpit and it's just just stuff like that, and this is a, a measure of of where they go. With the, look, we're not we don't care how ridiculously stupid we go here, and and yeah, I'm. This was a I, I don't know. This would have been a double A, I think, when it came out, uh, or would it have been a? I think it would have probably been a, a double A back then, which means you'd have to be fourteen to go and see it. So I I, I didn't actually see this at the cinema. I, I just saw this on on video. I was, I was what eleven when it came out. 
I, I don't actually remember it being at the cinema. Actually, I think I did go to the cinema quite a lot around then. Yeah, I'd be like the the, the Superman films one or two. I saw those at the cinema, but uh, I didn't see this one. But it, it was. I, I don't know what I would have done as an eleven-year-old seeing seeing the uh, the uh, stewardess go down on on the uh, inflatable uh, autopilot. I heard everyone around me uproariously laughing. I don't know how I would have uh, I would have uh, reacted to that. Maybe just thought, oh, this yeah, that's funny, isn't it? <laughs> that's where his Willie would be. <laughs> I've heard what I what I have done is because um, recently I heard that the. British Board of Film Classifications actually have a podcast where they talk about how certain films were submitted for rating and, and whether they were cut or not. And I mean, the discussions went from Alien to Star Wars to I think one I listened to was Jaws. And yeah. and I mean, I've just got the notes here for Airplane and because it, I mean, it was obviously resubmitted for a, a DVD or a Blu-ray release. And it went uncut, but there were still mentions about the fact that a female flight attendant inflates a blow-up pilot, giving the appearance that she's performing a sexual act. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they just, I mean, God bless the BBFC for you know, making everything just take all the nuance out. And, <laughs> and even in the next, the next sentence is, in other scenes, a woman reminds a man how she used to sit on his face and wriggle. A woman is seen in bed with a horse and a woman whose breasts are exposed is seen amongst panicking airline passengers. <laughs> that is hilarious. Yeah. I'll, I'll, have, I'll have to track that down. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you do get the feeling that were those the, the also the uh, the directions on the script? It was sort of, you know, you know, they go into panic. Well, the uh, the crew, the well, the passengers go into panic. Woman runs in front of shop with her tits out. <laughs> because as you mentioned, the part where Lloyd Bridges was sort of away with the fairies, they describe an increasingly unhinged man takes amphetamines and subsequently sniffs glue. <laughs> the man subsequently appears with his hair standing on end and floats upside down. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they make it sound so dull. I mean, and, and this was now this release in, and they've put it as 2013, was passed as a 12A. So, in theory, if this came out of the cinema, I could take my two year old to see it. I mean, she, she wouldn't sit still for that long, and God forbid she'd actually get any of the jokes. But um, yeah, it's nice to know that kids can access this. This isn't going to be locked away in a vault until you're 18. Yes. Again, like a, a lot of comedies. And, and other films, but comedy is always stick in mind as films that benefit from extra viewings. And in this case, you know, we talk about other films where you might not notice something the first time round. But I mean, this film, it's probably quite easy to watch this film a hundred times and notice something new every single time. Uh, yeah, it, it is. Uh, um I should try to think what I, I I picked up this time. I think I think probably the basketball. I think in the in the uh, uh, when when Joey picks it up off the floor and he's just sort of think, what, what, what of course he's got a basketball and it just adds to to the comedy of it. But I think as well is that so many of the jokes are retold even within the film, mm. like the the whole that's not important right now gag. He's told three times. The most memorable time, of course, is when Leslie Nielsen delivers it. And I don't know whether or not that's because of the way he delivers it and he delivers it so well or because of, as we were saying earlier, about whether or not the that 
the passage of, of dialogue actually exists in zero hour. So it's got this sort of basis there that of uh, to go on. And I don't, I, I, I'm not sure about that, but I, I think you're right. It, every time you see that, you don't, you don't fail to laugh at it. So that's why that, that that's why it lasts so long. That's why it's it's so funny. And hopefully, if people discover Zero Hour, now one thing I noticed from watching Zero Hour, admittedly afterwards, was there was a part in there where there was a gentleman's passenger who started drinking a bottle of scotch. Yes, and the woman yes. sort of <laughs> sneers at him. <laughs> but in this film, she does exactly the same thing and then snorts a line of coke. Yeah, exactly, and, that, and that's what you, when you what this is this is this is why listeners you should go and watch Zero Hour because you start laughing as soon as he passes the bottle of scotch over and says she wants some certainly not and then, then you you're almost expecting it right she's going to do a line of coke now. <laughs> I I know I've mentioned this and I I do put links to some YouTube stuff on the show notes and on on Twitter and stuff but this really is. If you're a fan of Airplane and you haven't seen Zero Hour, Airplane <laughs> makes Zero Hour funny. It's a, a film that goes back, what, 23-odd years and makes a film funnier that really had, one, no intention to be funny and, two, had no right to be funny. <laughs> it's I think just if you crazy. Were, it's just brilliant. I think if you were, if if you had a lot of time in your hands, you could make a great mashup of the two of them together. I think it would be, it would work. It would work. I think. I did see. I think after I finished watching Zero Hour, one of the like YouTube suggestions for the next thing you should watch was actually, I, I should have watched it, but it was a have actually next to each other scenes from Zero Hour and scenes from Airplane, and I guess they must be the ones where you know that they're actually virtually identical, but maybe with a a little bonus on the airplane side. Well, there's uh, there's actually a German version of it as well. I started watching that a bit as well, flicking through that to see it, to see, it. and it and it's it's very recognisably the same film again. And I'm sure it's like instead of the steak or the fish, it's probably the sauerkraut or the uh, um, well, <laughs> or, or the fish. <laughs> now, one thing I thought, and I don't know if this is a a well like if it's even true, but I understand that on commercial airlines anyway, that there's a rule that the captain and the vice captain or the, the co-pilot shouldn't eat the same meal. And I don't know if that's because of this or that was there before. I suppose it's the equivalent of the president and the vice president not being in the same room at the same time or something. But, you know, I could quite easily imagine that someone in, is it the... Federal Aviation Authority has sat down and watched this because I bet they all did watch this and gone. That's not a bad idea. I would love if it, if if that was if that was the case. If someone had actually thought, man, we can't really risk it. This is something that could actually happen. Let's let's, let's make sure it never does. <laughs> because it's easy to watch a parody and think, well, someone else has noticed it. Maybe we should notice it. <laughs> Joey, have you ever been in a in a Turkish prison? It's quite easy. I could easily go through a list of the jokes. Luckily, the people who collated the credits did some of that for us. I didn't realise this until a more recent, I think I, I caught the end of it, it was on Comedy Central or something. I had to rewind the credits at one point because I saw in there, you know, I, and these are some film jobs that I have no idea about. There's always one yeah. for Best Boy. Now, <laughs> Airplane credits the worst boy as Adolf Hitler. Yes. And 
author of A Tale of Two Cities, Charles Dickens, and a couple more. <laughs> there was uh, maybe this seemed funny at the time, and maybe I just don't get it. But there's four E's, and then hyphen a jolly good fellow, and uh, Millard Fillmore as the thirteenth president of the United States. <laughs> I dread to think. <laughs> just chuck a few more in at the end, see if they notice. I imagine seeing this film at the cinema for the first time. I can only imagine what the noise, the <laughs> laughing must have been. I mean, I I remember, I think I went to see South Park, the movie at the cinema, and I mean, half the people left halfway through. But um, I mean, those that, yeah. remained had a good, those that remained had a good time. But um, yeah, I mean, imagine seeing this. I mean, I, I haven't even gone to see a, anything at the, I know they show a lot of old comedies at the Prince Charles, the, the BFI, things like that. Yeah. It's interesting you mentioned South Park there because you can see where Parker and Stone have got a lot of their obviously influence from when they when they were when they were creating South Park and when they've gone on to do all their other stuff as well. I know they they did actually work with David Zucker on a film. David Zucker directed their Basketball, yeah, which I mean, like, they didn't write or anything, but obviously they 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 might they must have chosen that just to work with someone who. They would obviously used quite extensively as the, as a as a uh, as an inspiration in their own work. I didn't realise until going through IMDb that it was Jerry Zucker directed Ghost. Yes, yeah, he did. Uh, I think he did uh, First Night as well, didn't he? But yeah, it was yeah. sort of like big name movies in the nineties. Yeah, relatively straight films as well. I, I think that's quite interesting because because Ghost does have comedic elements in there. Doesn't it? And I wonder yeah. if, if 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 it's his influence there that's doing that. But yeah, largely it's a straight love story, isn't it? Yeah, and then they took the the pottery scene. I think they used that in one of the was it the second Naked Gun film? Yes. Uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> it's amazing how these films all tie up. Yeah, it's it always amazes me how though the police squad never never caught on or or was cancelled so early. And what you wonder if it was perhaps a bit ahead of its time, because if you think about the sort of stuff that was coming out at the end of the eighties, stuff like The Simpsons, and then going on into 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 South Park, you sort of think, oh, this they they really missed a, a trick on this one, didn't they? I mean, I I remember once seeing it on TV because, and I think it was probably after The Naked Gun had been on, because The Naked Gun essentially being was it from the files of yeah. Police Squad, and I. They showed it, I can't remember, I mean, it would have been early 90s, so it was probably on you know, BBC Two or something like that, but it just seemed so funny, but probably one of those things now that has a huge cult following, but doesn't get a huge amount of airtime. Yeah, uh, that's, I, I think it's uh, everyone who wanted to watch it has watched it now, and it's it's those, it, there's only six episodes of them, and it, it doesn't really have the same sort of repeat viewing thing that, 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 that the airplane has got. But it was it was popular, and it had the, the there was like loads of ad campaigns as well that that, that got into it. But I think it, it's not as if that people didn't want to see pastiches and things like that. I mean, if you look at the the sort of similar sort of parody films at, uh, at that sort of time, you've got things like uh, Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid, which is utterly brilliant, and it's a sort of parody in a different way. But it's it very much in the same mould as coming in the same sort of direction as, as Airplane where it's made by people who love what they're sending up and that and that always helps isn't it when whenever you've, you've got something that you're making a parody of I think on uh, on the other podcasts I do on the, um, the Star Trek one I do Whom Pods Destroy 
and and on the aforementioned James Bond one, the Odd Job Pod, we're always going on. We're always referencing films like Galaxy Quest and uh, the Austin Powers films, and and the reason we do that is because we love them so much because they are sending up the programs that or the films that that we that we really do enjoy but they're made by people who really understand them and they really do love them and and I have this this great affinity with them so you, they just pick everything they 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 just don't get anything wrong at all in what they in what they're sending up and that makes it funnier and it makes it means that people who don't like it can laugh and people who do like it can laugh as well it's funny that I mean having I, I listened to the the latest odd job pod I, I finished it today when you mentioned about Largo from Thunderball being almost yeah you know because he's now seen as this Austin Powers style villain with the eye yeah. patch and everything else and it's easy to go back to something and it kind of changes your perception of the original source and I guess. You know, any spoof, you know, I mean, a lot of people probably prefer scary movie to scream, you know, to, to use a, a slightly more recent example anyway. You know, and I mean, I, I, I mean, with Bond films, I mean, Austin Powers started it and, and went off in its own strange little direction. I mean, it would have been quite easy to go through. I mean, you could do the Bond films now. I mean, they're ripe for parody. Yeah, they could do with a laugh or two, to be honest. Yeah, I think it's. I remember well when you looked at the Brosnan films; they were close to parody, and they got there. They, they, it's like what we were talking about with the airport films: is when you start getting a bit more ridiculous, then all of a sudden people start laughing at you when you're making a serious film. So, if you if you go down and describe the airport movies as they go along, airport. The first airport film is about uh, someone who takes a bomb on board and tries to blow it up to for the insurance money, which is what they... It's a subplot they use in Airplane 2, which the Zucker brothers had nothing to do with. And uh, on the director's commentary, I think Jerry Zucker says he's never even seen Airplane 2. <laughs> so, strangely enough, if you look at the Airplane was made for three and a half million bucks, I think, and it made over a hundred. Uh, Airplane Two was they 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 spent four times as much on it, and they got four times less back. So you can see why there wasn't an Airplane Three yet. <laughs> well, yeah, not yet, not yet. Uh, yeah, it could happen, I suppose. Yes, it's strange. I mean, you know, you could always go back to Bond films and stuff. But um, I mean, the you know we mentioned it very briefly when we did the Rocky Four pod with Dave Hartrick, and he, you know, we talked about how they ripped off Rocky Four. Or Family Guy, one of the Star Wars episodes they did. Um, I mean, they they literally took a huge chunk of Rocky Four and then animated some parts of it. But if I remember correctly, they took huge chunks of Airplane and used that in there as well. I mean, they they even had at one point I can't remember which part of it that was when they were in the Millennium Falcon and they actually took the the audio from this and it was Leslie Nielsen saying, "Good luck, you know, we're all counting on you." I just want to tell you both, good luck. We're all counting on you. So, and uh, even now, I think uh, this film could be, not that we'd want it to be remade, but I think most of the jokes in here would carry off quite well. And even the, uh, even Captain with his 
mentions of gladiators and Turkish prisons and grown men naked. I did read that they had to cut one of those out because it was too bad. I mean, they said, have you ever seen, was it, have you ever seen a grown man's naked cock? Yeah, all right. <laughs> and, uh, and that one probably benefited from being, su- you know, that subtle removal. Yeah. Um, I think in, the, in this day and age, I think it's, that could go through. But apparently they had to really try hard to convince Peter Graves to do that. I think he really didn't want to give those lines. Well, he does it really well. <laughs> he does it spot on. I, I, I wonder, I wonder if, if, if you could actually have something like airplane now i mean if, if, if airplane doesn't exist i mean that's one thing i think one thing that was level at airplane two was the fact that airplane two would be fine if airplane one if airplane one didn't exist but if if airplane one if airplane was being made now would they overreg it too much or would they would they take it too far i mean it's very difficult for us to tell because we've grown up with this film and so there's probably people who are older than us who have thought oh well, this is this is just a load of old tosh it's a load of old toilet humor and yet for us it's like you know this is this is a paragon of comedy comedic value i think that's important when you go back to the beginning and see that you know there is in this film there is a film inside it that you know we can go and hopefully people will look out on youtube and say that this is a disaster film with a lot of bits on it you know that this isn't just jokes thrown together for the sake of it a lot of films now they either they know full well what they're trying to do. They're trying to become parodies of themselves. I suppose anything that stars Dwayne Johnson, you know, that yeah. it seems to be, you know, let, let's keep some humour in there, even though it's ridiculous. And you know, maybe some of Mark Wahlberg's films could benefit from a, a lighter touch. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right, yeah. I, I guess it's that sort of boundary of all that fine line of taking yourself too seriously. But um, I think it's safe to say that this film doesn't. Come on, minute. Particularly miles, of course. That's impossible. They're on instruments. You did hint about the music from the film. Now, I know they, they did borrow a lot of bits from other films. I mean, we talked about Jaws already. There's Saturday Night Fever and, and everything else. Well, it's just Elmer Bernstein. And Elmer Bernstein's such a giant in film scores. So, yeah, this is the guy who wrote The Great Escape and The Magnificent yeah. Seven. And, and you've got him here on, on, this, on this comedy film that is is like dirt cheap um budget and he's turned up and and then he does and he plays it straight as well he goes in for that for that melodramatic sort of film score the, the big and and the action scenes as well and he just delivers it so so well it, and and because it, it is elmer bernstein it is got that familiarity that that you'll think well look, okay this is it's the whole juxtapose there. You've got, uh, oh, look at me, I've used the word juxtapose in the film <laughs> podcast. Isn't that great? But you've got that there, and because it makes you feel so comfortable, it adds to the to the experience. And and it is, it's it's not one that I would say, oh, yeah, got to go down and get Elmer Bernstein's Airplane soundtrack. Because, yeah, if you want to listen to Elmer Bernstein, go, go and get one, one of his really good films and, and go and listen to that. But, yeah, I think it was a great touch of bringing him in there. Yeah, I mean, the, the opening, the, the score throughout the opening scene for the airport, it did really lay down, it made the film feel authentic to listen to anyway. It did feel, of its time, it did feel like one of these sort of dramatic themes where, you know, even though we're watching people build up to assaulting religious zealots and people with flowers and <laughs> jokes about yeah. abortion on the tannoy, but, 
you know, we still hear this music, it still sounds serious, even though on the Jaws theme and everything else we know it's not, but at least it gives it that sort of kudos. Yeah, the, the, incongru- the incongruity of it all, isn't it? And that's that's the thing that the airplane, one of the many things that airplane does really well. And it, and it just works. And, and even, who knows, by, by now you might have heard it throughout the podcast at some point, but it just seems to, to really give it some grounding. And I mean, sometimes you don't need to have, you know, I mean, what, what would they have had alternative someone with an oboe walking by their fat guy going, but, um, <laughs> you know, you don't need everything on the screen. You know, sometimes no. it, it is still yeah. essentially at its core a serious film and having yeah. that soundtrack actually helps. I, and the the uh, the trombone obviously is is the is the best is, is one of the, is, is one of the best means in the in the flashback scene to the bar. <laughs> when you the sneezy trombone that, that she's playing while stand, standing on the bar. It's just, those little gags are, are great, aren't they? And the fact that they suppose uh, this would have been, what, two or three years after Saturday Night Fever, so uh, getting a little link into that as well and parodying that. Uh, I can't remember how many of those had been done at the time, but, yeah, that even now that works really well. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think you know stuff like that would have been parodied a lot. It, it would have been the sort of like there would have been Saturday Night Live sketches about that, and and anywhere would have would have done that. But to do to do it in in that way, it suddenly makes it you know you're you're adding something else. And of course, you've got the guy getting getting stabbed and doing that, and she's mimicking his his movements. <laughs> oh God, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. And the fight, apparently the fight between the girl scouts or whatever they were was recreated quite well in Bill and Ted. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just things like that. Where that, that was just a recurring theme, you know. Just when you think you forget about it, they come fighting again in the background. <laughs> uh, what's that called? Is it a meet-cute where they have the, the two leads or the, the male and the female, whatever, come together? Um, that's quite yeah. a good one in there. Was it the, the dingiest bar in Jurambui or something like that? One of them's dan- <laughs> dancing with someone who gets stabbed and just steps in. It's <laughs> utter ludicrous. But I don't know, in so, some bars in London, that might actually happen. <laughs> I think it's the whole relationship between between the two of them and the way they, they, they carry it through throughout the whole film is actually played out exactly the same way as you would see in any of these crappy disaster movies from the 70s and they and it's just as as believable as any of these other ones that are these shamelessly tacked on romantic love interests isn't aren't they and, and it does it it's it's, it's one thing that make, makes you you sort of watch this film and think god i've watched so many of these other films where i just bought that or just just sort of like, yeah i just or i didn't think oh for god's sake just just get on with the, the action or just just do something original for once rather than just do this i think that's that's what it really does that's where that's where airplane really wins long term is the fact that it makes you look at poor films and just think like you yeah you've got a load of big cast and a big budget but you really you really haven't pushed any any boundaries here have you it just works so well and i mean any excuse to watch it again and talk about it and hopefully I know some people were sort of going, well, you're, you're doing a podcast about Airplane, you're brave. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not here to try and out-joke it. I'm not here to try and be a comedian about it. I mean, you watch the film if you want that. But Yeah, I, I don't I don't know it, why people would, would, would think. I, I suppose it, it's because it is so, it's so many people's, well, one of their favourite films. 
it, it's as if you could say, well, what are you trying to do? Are you going to try and pick some holes in it? Because I can't. I can't pick a hole in it. it. Not every gag is funny, but there's 300 of them in there. So, you know, you, you, even even if 100 of those gags weren't funny, you've still got another 200 there to, to like laugh your, laugh your tits off at. I mean, it's it's a hit ratio that's pretty good. And and again, this is you know part, part of the podcast. I mean, uh, some films, the holes pick themselves. Ultimately, this is you know, an excuse to look at things. And, and something I do on a lot of the pods is is look at things. And, and sometimes it is, you know, that joke hasn't aged well or that storyline is, is a little bit dodgy yeah. looking at it now. But even in this film, there's very little that's aged badly. And, you know, some of the jokes, they're still close to the bone or something. But I wouldn't say they've they've aged badly or they're, they're going to be any more poorly received than they would have been at the time. You know, bad taste is bad taste, but... You know, this isn't exploiting any anyone or any group. So much of it would translate into now. I mean, whether they'd be brave enough to do a lot of it now is a different story. But most of it works, and and it still makes it most people's favourite comedy anyway. Yeah, I I think it is. I mean, when when I think when 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 Terry was on here and he was saying about the fact that. Uh, he finds it difficult when when people when answering a question, what's your five favorite films or something like that, and I think everyone does because it changes so often. But I think with something like Airplane is because it is, and although there are plenty of Zucker Brother films, there there are no there, none of them are really like this because uh, of its unique circumstances in which it's made. And I, I think when people say, oh well, they obviously run out of ideas because they were never as funny as they were as they were in this one. Well, it, they, they just did different things, and it um, and when you go into bigger budget films, cause remember this was made for peanuts. When you go on to bigger budget films, you've got bigger budget backers who want who who don't think, oh well, okay, we'll just let Steve turn up and do whatever lines he likes. No, no, he'll he'll do these lines here. What we what we put down here because otherwise you don't get any money. You can look at the films that they went on to do: Top Secret, Naked Gun, you know, Hot Shots yeah. as well. You know, they're obviously they're they're very closely related, but. They are different beasts, and I think this is what makes the airplane so unique compared to those. I mean, you know, those other films were hilarious and stand up to repeated yeah. viewings, but, you know, essentially they were the films that we kind of touched upon earlier. They're parodying film, 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 but they're not, you know, the, the essential plot. Maybe Hot Shots follows Rambo, and yeah. sort of Hot Shots 2 follows Rambo and, and that, but, you know, ultimately it's, um, you know, th- this film's unique for, for many reasons, and the fact that it's basically a disaster film at its core yeah and and even the naked gun which which where you got leslie nielsen who's who's, who's fantastic in it i think though he was only involved in the first two wasn't he uh zucker for the yeah for the naked gun i don't think i don't think he turned up for the third one but uh, uh, even that it, it it's still because it is such a such a slick operation by the the time it it's lost those sort of rough edges around there that 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 really give that sort of improv feel there is to a lot of of airplane that makes it look so much better the i don't know how long it took to shoot but i can imagine it wasn't very long at all i can't i can't imagine that they spent too long you've got so many easy sets to 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 work with there that the the delivery of the lines on there, especially a lot of the gags, you you can just imagine. Well, you, you don't need to reshoot those over and over again because that looks like you you've just come up with your best one straight there. It, it looks completely fresh, completely straight off the top of your head. So go with that one. It was the I was thinking of the gag from The Simpsons. I think where was it where Mr. Burns made the film where he tried to win the award and 
there was one I think he tried to recreate something where he's freed a Mexican town and he gets dragged off by a horse and they said we did 20 ticks and that was the best one <laughs> you do wonder if this was the case where they took so you know whether they did a number of takes or not I don't know and you know ho- hopefully they marry together but yeah I mean this I mean this must have been particularly trying to keep a straight face on this sort of film must have been horrendous yeah I mean it, I, don't, I well you, you you know I'm sure there were some some fabulous tales from from the production of this of this film but you get people like Peter Graves, Robert Stack, and Leslie Nielsen to come in and just deliver their lines, these hilarious lines, and just keep the play entirely straight. It is is just amazing. And and I would say Lloyd Lloyd Bridges does got to go play it more for comedy with the the, the glue sniffing and everything like that. But it's even then, I mean, he doesn't over egg it when he's doing the the straight roles, the the, the sort of the straight lines. You sort of think, well, where's the comedy coming? It's not just um, Johnny there, just just coming in and doing these things, but the comedy is there. It's all around. It just permeates throughout the whole thing. Even the scene where Lloyd Bridges sort of goes and stands on it towards his point, that leans on his desk, and there's a picture of him behind him just doing exactly the same thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and the and the the camera floats there just long enough for you to realise. Yeah, yeah. I mean, everything's so well done. I mean, it's it's a shame, and I, I know Airplane Two gets a lot of bad press and as you say it is purely because it's not airplane a perfectly decent amusing film yeah the the, the sequel is, is well yeah, yeah well the Zucker brothers i say aren't involved in it oh uh, uh, all right it's got william shatner which which is a big bonus for me <laughs> with the blinking and the flashing and the flashing and the blinking they all i think it's because it's not its own film enough and it, it's constantly going back and saying yeah you're watching airplane you're watching airplane here you're watching an airplane film so it, it's actually got loads of footage in there, but when you think about, it, but as I said earlier about the, the the fact that you've got zero hour that's sort of living inside this like this sort of like parasitic host of of <laughs> of, 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 air, of airplane, but of course airplane two do, doesn't have that. So it's like it, airplane two is like every other parody film where it's just something that they've written that's going to a bunch of funny stuff that happens, and I think that. That highlights why Airplane is so good because it has this basis of of an of an honest film inside it. I suppose that's <laughs> one the best thing I can best way I can describe it. I think. I think that's a perfect way to describe it, and um, and perhaps that's a good way to leave it. I think um, I will recommend again Zero Hour. Please go and watch it. It's <laughs> it's an hour and six minutes or something on YouTube. It's <laughs> yeah so easy and. If you've seen Airplane enough, you'll just love it. Well, it's brilliant because it's Airplane, and Airplane's brilliant it's because airplane. it's Zero Hour. <laughs> yeah, and even though it doesn't have the gags in it, you can fill in your ga- the gags yourself, and, and they are queued up perfectly for you. Yeah, the film's an hour and seven minutes, but you need to add that extra sort of 25 minutes just for, for laughing and that kind of, oh, I know what's coming next. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Or I can't believe this is actually in this film. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, so where's the bit where the woman smokes drugs? (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, Graham, thank you very much for bringing your copy of Airplane. And um, I say hopefully it'll last and have a few viewings. Now, we talked briefly about the Odd Job pod earlier. So what's the latest with that? You've had a new episode about the Sean Connery Bond villains. Uh, What's coming up soon? 
Well, we're going to be doing uh, a couple of years ago when Gary was, uh, who is the host of the Odd Job Pod, when he emigrated to Australia, he we had a World Cup of Bond films where we got together and we, because there were 20 feet, 24 Bond films at the time, we split it up into uh, the same format as the 1982 World Cup in, in Spain, obviously. And uh, and we came up with we 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 went through the whole tournament, the three of us deciding who would co who would win, and uh, it was uh, from Russia with Love one, and and now we're doing ones for Bond villains, so so we're going to come up and do that very very soon within the next uh, month or so. I think we're coming up with that one. So you're going to have the same format, the 2014. I don't know. I don't know. I think Terry hasn't made his mind up yet because we we keep we keep finding villains. That's the thing, and we keep sort of spreading it out a bit more as to who we who we uh, uh, include. I think we we may be a 32 team. It may be 48. It's a lot like the actual World Cup at the moment. You know, we don't know how many teams are going to be in the next one. And um, yeah, I mean, I did an episode about the old World Cups, and I, I'm sort of thinking, did one of the uh, one of the films set in the Middle East and one of the uh, the dictators can come along and take their film off at halftime if they're not happy with the result or if a, if a goal's <laughs> disallowed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, it's great because obviously you'll be doing some Bond films on here at some point as well, but um, you know, ju- just to hear that sort of that mix of formats. I mean, we obviously we know each other from before doing football yeah. stuff as well and, and it's nice to have any excuse to, to marry two formats and nostalgia fun yeah it always is i mean the, it, that's the thing because because we we we've, we've spoken lots about football over the years and uh, but of course when you when you get to meet and know all these people the, the lovely wonderful circle of people that we know um and then you find out that actually you're all into the same stuff as well outside of that see be it, be it music or films or whatever and then you get a chance to make podcasts and talk about things you love for about an hour and a half and uh, well what is wrong with that at all? Well, say if you're a Bond fan of any sort or any any interest, it's it's well worth going on to because um, we, we've all got our favourite Bond something or other. I mean, I I have a soft spot for Max Zorin, so I think a lot of people uh, around this yeah. era do. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I I I look forward to hearing of you to a kill then uh, <laughs> when, when 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 you do that. Yeah. Plenty of any excuse to have a Christopher Walken clip fest. Oh yes. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, I, how, how many films are you going to have in on on this podcast with Christopher Walken? I mean, you, you can have some great ones there. Yeah, I mean, I, I, the only one I've done so far was The Dead Zone, right? And I mean, that was famous, I suppose, for one quote of his. But then that turned into a whole thing comparing it to the current U.S. politics, which. <laughs> I mean, if, if you've seen the Dead Zone or heard the podcast, you, you know what I'm talking about. But yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, Christopher Walken's CV is is amazing. I know there was a there was a story. I think it was on Simon Brew's podcast about how he chooses films to do, and if he reads a script three times and he enjoys it on the third read, he'll do the film no matter what it is, no matter what the the salary or the production. He'll do it. I mean, he must have read some blinders. I mean, God knows what he's turned. <laughs> God knows what he's turned down. <laughs> So, does anybody else want to drive out? Right, thank you very much for uh, for taking the flight here. Now, as per usual, I'll play out the podcast with a song that was number one in the UK at the time of the film's release. It came out on the 29th of August, 1980, and you've got a good one here. It was Ashes to Ashes by David Bowie. Oh, very good, yes. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, Graham, thank you very much. Thanks a lot for having me there, Richard. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Do you remember a guy? 
This podcast was brought to you by executive producers Gary West, Fergus Higginson and Keith Foster and associate producer Chris Oakley. For more information, please visit patreon.com forward slash Betamax Video Club.